Gracious God and Lord of all creation, you promise that your holy word, which goes forth from your mouth, will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire, and it will succeed in the matter for which you've sent it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Well, we've made the point repeatedly in the past, and we'll continue to make the point because it's so central to Scripture, and that is that food is a very important theme in the Word of God. It's a very important part of our lives. It's central to our lives, our daily existence, and it's central to our eternal existence. You know, the very first sin in the Garden of Eden involved food, and and as we look ahead to the great beyond, uh, the kingdom of heaven, it is characterized in Scripture repeatedly as a feast. The wedding supper of the Lamb in his kingdom, which shall have no end. And so food is huge. And so Roman numeral number one today in your sermon outline, what are the five major food groups? You know? What's, just, just give me one. Meat. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, lean meat. Okay. What else? Vegetables, okay. Yeah, and preferably um, green, leafy vegetables, broccoli, um, maybe some cauliflower is good, asparagus and so on. Green stuff, okay. Um, no, I'm not going to go there. I, I, I'm not going to say that. No. Okay, green, leafy stuff. Uh, the more color, uh, the more vitamins you have. That's what my wife would say, okay. So we have vegetables, and then somebody mentioned fruits. Okay, yeah, fruits. What else? Grain. Okay, whole grain is important, yeah, rather than processed. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, he's no fun, okay? <laughs> but, but no, whole grain's better for you. And then dairy products, low-fat dairy stuff, okay? A low-fat milk, yogurt, and that sort of thing. Those are the five uh, major food groups. But Roman numeral number two, in the Bible, there's really only two food groups. There is the food which perishes. Jesus mentions that in our gospel reading for today. There's the food which perishes. And then there's the food which endures to eternal life, which is Jesus himself. And he not only gives this food, he is the food which endures to eternal life. Point A, we need both kinds of food. We need both. But Jesus warns against laboring for the former, that food which perishes. And that seems really odd to us, that we should not labor for the food that perishes, because after all, what do most of us get up and do every day? We get up, we go to work, we labor in some way, shape, or form, whether it's in the home or whether it's some other place. That's what we do. We think about, well, we have to earn our daily bread. But is that really true? I cite Matthew 6.11, that's from the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus teaches us, in these words, give us this day, meaning Father in heaven, give us our daily bread. We would argue the daily bread is a gift. It's not something you or I earn. 
God may give it to you through your labor, but the labor itself is a gift. You know, he put the man in the garden, Genesis 2, to tend it and keep it. Labor's a gift. We're designed to work. Without work, we're lost. There's always something we can do. God designed us so. And so labor is important, and it's a gift. And the strength to get up and go to work is a gift itself. And so all of these good things are a gift from God. I like the way Luther put it in the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And this is what Luther writes. He says this. God gives daily bread to everyone without our prayer. It's just automatic. He's, he's that good. He's like a parent. A parent doesn't wait for you to ask what it is you need. The parent already supplies it. That's God our Father. He gives daily bread to everyone without our prayer, even to all evil people. But we pray in this petition that he may lead us to realize this and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. You see, when we pray for daily bread, we're not praying for God to remember to give it. We're praying for ourselves to remember that he's the giver. We're reminding ourselves he's the giver. So we don't need to labor for the daily bread. It's a given. We don't need to worry and fret about it. God supplies it. He feeds the birds. He will feed you as well. It may not be with the fare that you demand, but it will be with what you need. And then point B, to work for the latter, that food which endures to eternal life, is, verse 29, it is to believe in Jesus. That's the work of God. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You believe in the one who's done all the work for you. That's the work of God in your heart. Acts chapter 16, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to believe the message proclaimed by Paul. Faith is a gift. It's God's work in you through the word. Faith comes by hearing the word, the message. God creates it in your heart. By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works. It is God's gift to you. God's work in you. Roman numeral three. What does Jesus mean in the last verse of our lesson? Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Never thirst? We would never hunger? Really? Well, I use words as an example of this. Uh, point A, words are food for the soul. They are nourishment for the mind. Good news lifts you up. You may be feeling down, but you hear something encouraging, and you are encouraged. Hope is renewed. It's food for the soul. The same way, point B, words can harm as well as heal. They have power. They penetrate. All of us know what it is. If you live long enough, all of us know what it is to be hit, to be struck, to be slapped, to be punched. We all experience this one way or another. It's unfortunate, but it happens. 
We're sinners, right? And you may bruise, but that bruise will heal a lot quicker than words that lodge in your mind, doubts that arise in your heart because someone has denigrated you, disrespected you. How do you heal that? That kind of bruise. See, it penetrates very deeply. You simply can't apply an ice pack. It's not that simple. The only solution is God's words. We have to hear other words. Words of mercy, words of forgiveness, words of encouragement from God through Jesus Christ. Words can lodge in your mind and create a hurt that lasts the rest of your life. All of us know this. We feel it at times. Point C, what happens in you matters more than what happens to you. That's why words matter so much. What happens in you determines how you respond to and how you cope with whatever happens to you. You're governed from the inside out, not the outside in. Point C1, life and death are in the power of the tongue, Proverbs 18. And gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. That's why absolution is so precious. That's why the forgiveness of sins is so central to who we are. We are God's forgiven children. And we have to hear that over and over again because the world tells us something else. That we're at fault, that we're condemned. The law of God tells us that. And the world constantly reinforces that message. So where's the good news? Where is the gospel? It is in Christ and Christ alone. He is God's recipe for encouragement, for hope, for life. Point D, Jesus does more than speak God's word to us. He is God's word. He is God's speech. He's not only the messenger, but he is the message itself, the message of hope, the message of mercy, the message of reconciliation. And he's even more than the message. He is hope. He is mercy. He is reconciliation with God and with one another. Point number one, the bread of life discourse. That's what John 6 is. And this is the first Sunday we're in John 6. The next two Sundays will remain in John 6. The bread of life discourse is Christ's own interpretation of the burning bush and of the manna read earlier. If you want to know how to interpret the Old Testament, if you want to know the lenses through which you should read Holy Scripture, it is Christ. He interprets the Scripture in light of himself. Jesus said to the Jews in John chapter 5, You search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, yet they testify of me. In other words, you have eternal life in me. The Scriptures are a sign pointing to me. The manna is a sign pointing to me. 
The angel of the Lord in the burning bush points to me. I am who I am, the angel said. It was the voice of the Lord, after all. Therefore, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He takes the divine name unto himself, something only God can do. Just as he says, I am the good shepherd. There's the name of God again. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the light of the world. Again and again, seven times in John's Gospel, he applies this divine name to himself. You and I could never do that. But Christ can and does. Point two, Jesus does more than show us the way. See, the world is willing to concede. Oh, he'll, he'll show us the way to the afterlife or a way to the afterlife. No, he is not just showing us the way. He is the way. He does more than give us truth. He is truth itself in the flesh. The truth of God's love for you and me and all sinners. He does more than give us life. He is life itself. To have him is to have a life that never ends. Number five, he does more than provide for us. He is provision. The only provision you need. That's the bold claim of Scripture. Martha's busy in the kitchen. What does Jesus say about Mary, who's denigrated by Martha? She's chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. She's chosen the one thing needful. That's the Lord. To have Jesus is to be satisfied. He is life itself. Number six, he does more than forgive us. He is our forgiveness, embodied. Number seven, he does more than declare us righteous. He is our righteousness. I like the old Kennedy evangelism questions. If you were to die tonight, do you know if you would stand before God? Do you know that you would go to heaven? And then the second question is like it. If you were to die tonight and stand before God, and if he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven, what would your answer be? And you know the most common answer, if you were to ask someone out on the street that question, the answer would be kind of a, a me answer. Well, I try hard. I, I do my best. Uh, I attend church on occasion. Uh, I, I, I don't beat my wife, you know. Um, we search desperately for reasons why to, we justify ourselves as to why we should be there. We know deep down we really don't belong. But if God were to ask me that question, I would have to concede. Dear Lord, I don't belong in your presence. I do not belong here in and of myself. But there is another one who lived and died and rose for me. And you promised that whoever believes in him has eternal life. Therefore, I have a right to be here. Based on his shed blood and his righteousness, which is given to me by faith, I have every right and reason to be here. You promised it. He is our righteousness. He is our confidence before God now and on the last day. You know, I said earlier, the kingdom of heaven is, is, a, is a meal the wedding supper of the Lamb and His kingdom. We are the bride of Christ. It's a big celebration. And if the kingdom of heaven can be 
visualized as a meal, and it should be. Luther said this. He said, Jesus is the host, Jesus is the server, and Jesus is the meal itself. Jesus is everything we need, and he is the only thing we require. It's that simple. I was at the State Fair uh, a couple days ago. Um, Harriet had a presentation there to make, and um, I tagged along, and we're, we're walking around uh, the fairgrounds, and uh, I don't know, if, if any of you remember um, Nightmare Theater uh, back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, Sammy Terry? I, I, I didn't know until I looked it up. His, his name is a pun on cemetery, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, he's this... Uh, scary-looking guy, and um, he would host this this theater, this uh, horror movie show on, was it Saturday night, maybe? Anyway, I used to watch him on occasion, and I saw him. It's actually his son, because Sammy Terry has gone to the cemetery, uh, actually, and, uh, and so his son now dresses up in the costume, you know, and, and I told her, I said, hey, there's Sammy, and I said, you got to get a picture of me with Sammy. And, and so um, I, I go up to him, you know, he's got people around him. I finally make my way up to him and say, hey, Sammy, can I have a picture with you? And so he said, sure. And, you know, I go, <laughs> right, you know, he does that, that laugh. And, and so to take the picture, he puts his hands around my neck, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to shake one hand. He's got the other hand around my neck. And I, so I, I kind of look scared, right? And, and, uh, but, but see, that's how the world treats death. We don't know what to make of it. We know it's out there. We know it's scary. We know it's coming. And so we make light of it. We, we, we make fun of it. It's kind of a psychological way to deal with something that's really hard to deal with, right? Because we, we live in a world that's dying. And you know it. You see it in others. And you see it in yourself when you look in the mirror. You know, the, the county coroner, or the former county coroner, said people die in one of two ways. Either it's like turning off a light switch, real sudden, or it's like turning off a fan, very gradual, and finally, eventually, stops. You see. We die suddenly, or we die by inches, but the truth is we die. And yet God, in his mercy, provides eternal life through Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, for the sake of Jesus Christ, for all of us who are dying. And God's recipe for life does not change. It is Jesus. It is Christ and Christ alone. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.